ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So in the last lesson we were on the topic regarding the punishments and the blessings of the grave and there is one small section left in that topic and that is the section regarding the specific sins that are mentioned in the revelation that lead to the punishment of the grave There are certain sins that have been mentioned in particular connected to the punishment of the grave. So what are those then? We can say generally of course every sin is a cause and a reason for the punishment of the grave to possibly occur generally speaking any sin every sin is making yourself liable to the punishment of the grave but then there are certain specific sins that have been mentioned connected to the punishment of the grave from them number 1 in no particular order annamima the storytelling when you carry tales between people to cause corruption between people so you take some story you hear from one brother or one group of brothers over to another brother or another group of brothers You know I heard them saying this about you or this or that and I heard them talking about this or that you purposely narrate these stories and tales between people with the intention of causing corruption that is namima and that is mentioned as a sin specifically linked or associated to the punishment of the grave secondly not looking after yourself when using the toilet not looking after yourself when urinating allowing that to impurify you on your garments on your body or maybe not concealing yourself when answering the call of nature then generally not looking after yourself in regards to the etiquette of using the bathroom as we say now relieving yourself then that has been mentioned also as something connected to the punishment of the grave those first two 
are mentioned in a hadith. It mentions Marran Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam biqabarain. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam walked past two graves. فَقَالْ إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانِ And he said these two, the two inhabitants of the graves, are being punished. إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانِ وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ أَلَا وَهُوَ كَبِيرٍ That they are not being punished for something big as they thought. But it is something big. أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا فَكَانَ يَمْشِ بِالنَّمِيمَةِ As for one of them, he used to go carrying tails between people to cause corruption. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرِ فَكَانَ لَا يَسْتَنْزِهُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ and in one riwayah, كَانَ لَا يَسْتَتِرُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ And as for the other one, he never used to look after himself when urinating. The splashes, the impurity on him, his clothes. And in the other narration, he never used to conceal himself when urinating. We know that a person has to conceal himself, hide himself away from the eyesight of the people when relieving himself, when answering the call of nature. And that's why in these men's cubicles, public toilets, the ones they have on the walls lined up, impermissible to use them standing up like that in public view. In the narration it mentions in one version, the punishment of the grave because he never used to conceal himself when urinating. Then, the third reason from amongst the various reasons specifically connected to the punishment of the grave, for the men lowering their garments below their ankles. That is mentioned in a hadith that the lowering of the garments below the ankles is a reason for the punishment of the grave. That is in the hadith we mentioned last time of Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah where he said, بَيْنَمَا رَجُلٌ يَجُرُّ إِزَارَهُ That was the man, he used to drag his garments below his ankles. مِنَ الْخُيَلَاءِ From pride. خُسِفَ بِهِ فَهُوَ يَتَجَلْجَلُ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَعِنْدَ مُسْلِمْ فَهُوَ يَتَجَلْجَلُ فِي الْأَرْضِ حَتَّى تَقُومَ السَّاعَةِ in those narrations it mentions that person then who used to drag his garments, the man who used to drag his garments below his ankles, then he will be reverberating in that punishment up until the day of judgment. 
So the punishment of the grave mentioned for the one, for the male, who wears his garments below his ankles out of pride. A person may say, but what if I wear the garments below the ankles and there is no element of pride? So then is it okay or not? Why not? The hadith says, مِنَ الْخُوْيَلَىٰ That he was wearing his garments below his ankles in pride. He can't tell if he's pride or not. No, but he, the one who does it with pride, that's clear in the hadith. Somebody who genuinely isn't doing it with pride. Genuinely. Then what's the ruling? So... No, on purpose, but without pride. So, in this hadith, the word says pride. That he was wearing those garments below his ankles because of pride. Somebody may may say, but I'm not wearing the garments below my ankles because of pride. I'm just doing it because that's the way society is. That's just how people dress these days. It looks weird if you're wearing your garments above your ankles. So it's no pride or nothing. I'm just mixing in with society how it is these days. That's how clothes are. That's how they make them. You go to a shop now, that's how they are. The pants, the trousers, what you buy, that's how it is. But in that case, we can say to the person, your justification is not acceptable. They may say, but the hadith says pride. You can tell them there are other hadith, other narrations that don't mention the word pride. There are other narrations that don't mention the word pride. They just mention whatever is below the ankles is in the fire, for example. They don't mention pride. So is that enough of an answer? Mm, depends on the circumstances, well, doesn't it? If the person is smart, he may say, Why can't, why can't we? What do you mean? So they may say it's like general and specific. They may say, okay, there are some narrations that don't mention pride in them. General narrations about the impermissibility of wearing garments below the ankles. And then we have this one, which seems to be a lot more specific, telling us that it's the issue of pride. So they may say here we have a specific narration And those others are general, put the general together with the specific, and it means you can't wear your garments below your ankles if it is of pride. And if it isn't, then it's okay. Now what you gonna do? Hmm. So then you can explain to them, still, still, it's not acceptable. And the reason being, 
There is or there are some narrations that talk about the issue of pride, garments below the ankles for the men, with the issue of pride, and they have certain punishments mentioned like the punishment of the grave in this hadith. There are other hadith that don't necessarily mention the issue of pride, and in those narrations though, the punishment mentioned is a different punishment, that Allah will not speak to them or look at them, etc. Different punishment is mentioned in the ones where no pride is mentioned. Where pride is mentioned, a different punishment is mentioned, which therefore means, whether you wear your garments, for the men of course all this is, whether you wear your garments below your ankles out of pride, or not out of pride, both situations are punishable in different ways, different punishments. Different punishments are mentioned. For the one who does it out of pride, there is some punishments. The one who does it for other reasons, nevertheless, it's a haram act and there are other punishments. So that therefore proves it is not just about pride, And if you don't do it out of pride, it's okay. If you do it with pride, then there are specific punishments for that act. Wearing them below your ankles with pride. If you don't do it with pride and you have other reasons, then there are still other punishments there. So in all circumstances, it is not permissible for the men to wear their garments below their ankles. And when it comes to society and mixing in and fashion, then these days it's not a major problem. These days the way the fashion is, it's not a problem whatsoever for a man to be wearing short, tight pants as they do. For the Muslim, of course, loose and baggy covering the aura. But above the ankles, it's not an issue and it's not a problem. Nobody can claim that fashion doesn't allow that. Fashion allows anything these days. So, that is not an issue there. It is impermissible for the men to wear the garments below the ankles at any time. That isn't just in the prayer. Some people think when they come to the prayer, get the pants, the trousers, above uh, the ankles, and then as soon as the prayer finishes, down again. It isn't just for the prayer. There is no specification just for the prayer it is general so that is something mentioned as a punishable act in the punishment of the grave for the man who wears the garments below the ankles the fourth one lying and there are hadith about that too fifth fourth the first one was Carrying tails. The second one was the urine issue. The third one was lowering the garments. And therefore the fourth one right now. No, that's the, the urine. The urine, there were two narrations. One was about not concealing yourself. The other one was not was about not looking after yourself when urinating. Both of those are number two. Number three is about the garments below the ankles for the men. And number four now is lying. Lying is mentioned as a sin punishable 
in the grave, punishment of the grave, for the one who lies and his lies they spread across the horizons. The fifth one, fornication, mentioned as an act specifically punishable in the grave. Number seven, taking interest. Interest that you get in your bank accounts, you must not take that. You must go and prevent any type of account with interest coming into it. It is not permissible to have those types of accounts. People, they say, but there are ways to use that interest. Yes, the scholars have given fatawa regarding how you can use built-up interest money. For example, Sheikh bin Bazi gave a fatwa that it can be used for public services. That you go out and you use the money to resurface the road. Or that you build some public toilets, public services. However, that is in the scenario where you've ended up with interest in your account for whatever reason. It is not in the scenario that you know it's happening and you allow it to continue to happen, allow it to build up and then make a routine where every six months you take it out and go and spend it on those causes. It isn't like that. You can't carry on taking it and then you say every six months I'm going to go spend it like the scholar said where you can spend it. That is only a person, for example, never knew and now he finds out and he's got all this interest. So he goes and uses it and gets rid of it in that way. Not that you carry on purposely allowing it to build. So a person must make sure that they are not taking interest in any way. And that isn't just in the bank accounts. It applies to all of these different types of contracts, different types of uh, businesses and deals and trade that goes on. All of these economies, they built upon interest. All of these trades and deals and what they give you, many of them have interest in them. So you have to be very careful when purchasing things, purchasing from stores, departments, various places, their contracts and deals and how it works out. Many of them have interest built into their deals and contracts. And that is impermissible. The scholars always give the example of Bay'al-Ina. The example where a person tries to find what they might call these days a loophole in the interest system so that he can carry on taking interest, riba, without actually directly taking interest. They give the example of the ina, whereby there is a poor man, it's in the books of fiqh, they mention this, as a particular type of trade, which is a deception upon interest. It's interest really, but they deceive you, or they make it out in a way where it looks like it's not interest, but it is really. So they say there is a poor man, and there is a rich man. The poor man needs a loan. He goes to the rich man for a loan, The rich man can give him his thousand pound loan right now. The poor man can pay him back in 12 months time. 
But the rich man, if he gives him that £1,000 loan, he wants to make something on it. He wants to get 1100 back in a year's time. Otherwise, what benefit is he getting out of giving all these poor people loans? So he'll give him the loan, but he wants to get 1100 back in a year's time. Can he make the agreement with the poor man? I'll give you a thousand then, no problem, I'll loan you. But in a year's time then, 12 months from now, it's 1100 That's our contract. Can they do that? Blatant riba, absolutely haram. You can't do it. Rich man knows that. Can't do it. Poor man knows that. You can't do it. Straight out haram. Not even with the claim of it being inflation. You can't even claim inflation. You can't say, well, okay, I'll lend you a thousand pounds today. And our contract is, inshallah, if we live, you're going to return it back to me in 20 years' time, that 1,000 pounds. In 20 years' time, the 1,000 pounds will not be valued or be worth what it's worth today. Meaning, if you think back 20 years ago, 20 years ago, you think back and you used to go to Greg's. And the pasties in Greg's 20 years ago, you used to give them a 50p coin and get a ton of change back. Nowadays, honestly, I'll tell you, I was shocked as well. One day I went after many, many years. And I was thinking back to those days when we used to go. You go give them 50p, you buy about three pasties. You get change, everything. I went after years and years. 10 years, 15 years or something, after Medina, everything came back, one day went to Greg's, got a pasty. So I got a pound coin out, I thought, yeah, of course, it's going to be more than 50p now. I got the pound coin out. And this hit me, one pound something something, even more than a pound. I was shocked, took me a moment to go back into the wallet. So now, from 20 years ago, that pasty was worth 20p. Now it's worth £1.20 or whatever they charge. So if somebody borrowed 20p from me 20 years ago, and they pay me back the 20p now, what I can buy with that 20p now is nothing compared to what I could have got with it 20 years ago. So inflation, they say, well now you need to give me back 50p. Because what I could have bought with 20p those years ago it now takes 50p to buy those same things. Or in the case of the past year, a pound now to buy that. So you got to give me that much back. Inflation. Islamically haram. You can't do it. 20p 20 years ago, you're going to pay me back 20p now. That's how it is. So now the rich man knows that. So what does he do? He says to the poor man, follow it carefully. He says to the poor man, I'll sell you my car. He says to the poor man, I'll sell you my car, buy my car off me. So the poor man agrees to buy the car off the rich man for 1,100 pounds. He buys it. But with the agreement that the poor man doesn't have to pay the money for the car for a year. So... They've done the deal, signed the paperwork, the car is nowhere to be seen. 
but they've done the deal, the car's in the garage at home, wherever it is. They've done the deal, signed the papers, the car now belongs to the poor man. And the poor man now owes the rich man 1,100, which he has to pay him within 12 months. No problem, done deal. Only issue there is the poor man is poor. He had come looking for money, not to buy a car. So now the rich man says to him straight away, two minutes later or two seconds later, now that the first deal is done, the car belongs to the poor man, the rich man has 1,100 owed to him. Done deal, finished. Now the rich man says, I'll buy my car back off you right now. I'll buy the car back off you right now. Right now, 1,000 pounds cash. So the poor man sells the car back to the rich man for a thousand in cash. This is a separate deal now. So he's bought the car back and the poor man now has in his pocket one thousand pounds cash. What's the only outstanding thing left? In a year's time, the poor man, the first contract, the poor man has to give back one thousand one hundred. So in the end, what's happened? The rich man has handed over a thousand and he's going to get back in a year's time. One thousand one hundred with this pretense in the middle that I sold you my car and you bought it back. Never sold the car, nothing really. They sold the car, but it was never really done. The car's never seen the rich poor man. No, it's in the garage somewhere. That's just an item being utilized to make it look like a legitimate trade occurred. A legitimate first deal, which in of itself is a legitimate deal. The second deal, in of itself, a legitimate deal. But when they've done it like that, they've done it for the purpose of creating or trying to create a loophole, which essentially just means in the end, the poor man takes a thousand. If he didn't follow that, the recordings will be available afterwards. So that is a type of interest which is impermissible. So it's mentioned here one of the types of sins is interest. That is from the types of sins. The final category here, what are the types of actions you can do to prevent or guard yourself from the punishment of the grave? The sins that that lead to the punishment of the grave, we said at the beginning, all sins generally. The same here, what's going to guard you from the punishment of the grave? All good deeds generally. The more righteousness you do, the more good deeds you do, then of course that is from the means of protecting yourself from the punishment of the grave. But there are some particular uh, good deeds that have been mentioned which enable a person protection from the punishment of the grave. One of them mentioned is martyrdom in the path of Allah, in the reality of what that means. Not upon the false reality, the false claims of the Khawarij and the extremists and their likes. Martyrdom in the reality of what it is. Because it is an act of worship. 
and it has pillars to it, just like any other act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship. You have to pray in a very particular and specific way for it to be correct. You have to stand, you have to read Fatiha, you have to do Ruku'ah, you have to go into Sujood, you have to do all of those things in the right order, everything, wudu before. All of those rules are there for your prayer to then be valid. The same with every act of worship. Fasting, the rules are there. What you can do, what you can't do, when you can eat up to, all of the rules are there for your fasting to be valid. You couldn't just come along and say, forget about the prostrations, I'm just going to stand and do my whole prayer. Forget about the rukua, forget about the wudu. You start missing those parts out, then you're not going to have a valid worship. You say, forget about when you can eat too, when you can open, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Then your fasting isn't going to be valid. Same with this now. Fighting in the path of Allah, then it has its rules to it. And if they are not followed, it is not valid. Simple as that. If they are not followed and those pillars are not met, then the action, the act of worship is not valid. And that is what is occurring with the uh, misguided individuals, those upon the way of the khawarij. They are not implementing the rules of jihad. They are not implementing what is in the Qur'an and the sunnah. And that's why the scholars have said there is no jihad. In what they claim, there is only fasad. There is only corruption. There is nothing more than that. So the reality of martyrdom is a means of protection from the grave, from the punishment of the grave. Secondly, somebody who dies because of a stomach illness. Somebody who dies because of a stomach illness. Man mata bida'il batn. And there is a narration an Abdullah ibn Yasar قال كنت جالسا وسليمان بن صرت وخالد خالد بن عرفطة فذكروا أن الرجل توفي مات ببطنه فإذا هما يشتهيان أن يكونا شهداء جنازته فقال أحدهما للآخر ألم يقل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم مَنْ يَقْتُلُهُ بَطْنُهُ فَلَنْ يُعَذَّبْ فِي قَبَرِهِ فَقَالَ الْآخَرِ بَلَا It's mentioned that Sulaiman ibn Sartan and Khalid ibn Arfata they were discussing the death of a particular man who had died because of some <coughs> stomach illness some stomach issue, some stomach problem he had died from that so both of them when they heard that he had died due to some stomach issue, they both eagerly wanted to attend his janazah. And one of them said to the other, didn't the Prophet ﷺ say that whomsoever is killed by his stomach, by some issue of the stomach, that he will be or that he will not be punished in the grave? The other one replied, of course. 
that the Prophet did say that whoever dies because of some stomach illness, then he'll not be punished in the grave. The scholars, they spoke about this and they said that it could mean one of two possible things. Either it is in reference to some type of inflammation in the stomach, some type of growth in the stomach, some type of problem of that nature, some tumor whatever that grows or something of inflammation in the stomach and he dies because of that. Others they said it is actually a type of disease a type of disease that causes severe diarrhea, a virus or something that causes such severe diarrhea upon a person, it causes complications and leads to his death. Those are two possible explanations, but other scholars have said, nothing is specified in the narration, so what we should say is that it is open. What is linked to the stomach and death occurring because of it, then insha'Allah ta'ala, that person is within this narration. Also, from the affairs that protect from the punishment of the grave, is making dua constantly and plentifully in asking Allah to protect you from the punishment of the grave. And that is something you do in every prayer at the end. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. In what? Min adabil qabr. That oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the grave. Every prayer at the end you make that dua. So making dua constantly and asking Allah for that punishment to be kept away from you and to be safeguarded from it, then it is one of the means of guarding yourself or gaining that protection from the punishment of the grave. There are some groups from the people of innovation who opposed Ahlul Sunnah in this topic of the punishments and the blessings of the grave. The Khawarij and some of the Mu'tazila, they reject the punishment of the grave absolutely. They reject the punishment of the grave. There are others like some of the Mu'tazila also, who claim that the punishment of the grave only occurs between the two blowings of the horn. And we're going to get to that later. On the day of judgment, the horn is blown twice or three times. In between the blowing of the horn, they say that's, the time period in which the punishment of the grave occurs. 
So keep that in mind, keep that in your notes regarding the blowing of the horn on the day of judgment. This is their opinion and it is of course false, but this is what they claim. That brings us to the end of the section, which was the second section. If we recall from the beginning of the class, as we said, Iman in the day of judgment is split up into two main sections. There is the section regarding the Barzakh, and then there is the section regarding the hereafter. The Barzakh section had within it three points. The first was the moment of death, Al-Ihtidhar. The second was Fitnatul Qabr, the trial of the grave. And the third was blessings and punishments of the grave. So that brings us to the end of that first section. Now we're going to start the second section, which is all about the day of judgment itself. The signs of the hour the day of judgment, the resurrection, and all of that which occurs in the afterlife. So when we talk about the day of judgment, it is often known as, or one of the names of it is As-Sa'ah. As-Sa'ah, which is mentioned in the Qur'an, the Sa'ah, which we often say in English, the hour. The hour has come close. The hour has drawn near. And one of the reasons why it is known as the hour in terms of the understanding of an hour of 60 minutes, how we think of that hour, because 60 minutes in the context of things is a very short period of time. So it is as though to say the day of judgment, a great deal will occur, and that hour, it is something close, and the time remaining for it is close, and the accountability will be quick upon you. There is no delay. There is no way out. There is no way to delay your accountability. So they say, perhaps that is one of the reasons. And also they say, perhaps because of the element of surprise, because that day of judgment will occur upon the people, and within an instant everything begins to occur. As they mention about the signs of the Day of Judgment, the major signs, when one of the major signs occurs, and we're going to talk about those major signs, when one of them occurs, then it's mentioned in the narration, all of the rest of them occur like pearls. So if you have like a string and you have pearls on it, or a necklace, if you have a necklace with pearls, and you cut the necklace, one pearl falls off, and all the others straight off that necklace, one after the next. Hadith mentions the day of judgment, when one of the signs occurs, 
all of the rest start to follow one after the next just like they fall off that uh, the beads fall off that necklace so the first point to mention regarding the day of judgment and the hour is the fact that it is extremely close it is not something far away in the distance now it is something close because some of the signs of the day of judgment have already occurred as we will come to see you can classify the signs of the day of judgment in different ways what is the common way of classifying the signs of the day of judgment to say that they are minor signs and major signs that's what you always hear the minor signs and the major signs there is another method of classification from a different perspective and that is in terms of time frame there are signs that have already gone by there are signs that are occurring right now and there are signs that will come in the future so in terms of the signs of the day of judgment from this perspective of looking at things you can say the signs are past present and future there are signs of the day of judgment which have already occurred in the past like for example from the biggest of those the death of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the actual sending of the final messenger the fact that the final messenger was sent is a sign of the day of judgment then the fact that the final messenger has been sent and has died and the revelation has come to an end now is a sign of the day of judgment now coming close no more prophets no more messengers no more revelation then that is a sign of the day of judgment coming close so there are some examples and we'll do some more signs occurring right now many of them as well all those things we talked about as well interest and fornication and alcohol these are all things mentioned in the narrations about the signs of the day of judgment plentiful killing and murder building of the tall buildings all of these things they occur right now too and then there are the signs that will occur in the future and then you have the major signs from those from the sun rising from the opposite side and the return of Isa alayhi salam dajjal etc so those are various aspects but the first point is the signs are very uh, the hour is very close there is a hadith where the prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Bu'ithtu ana wa sa'aka hatayn That I have been sent and the day of judgment will happen The gap between these two events is like that And he showed them his middle finger and index finger Your middle finger is slightly longer than your index finger But that gap of length for your middle finger to your index finger relatively speaking is a small amount compared to the sizes of the fingers indicating a small amount 
that the Prophet was sent, that event occurred where the index finger is. The day of judgment, that's right up next at the middle finger. Next thing coming very close. And that's why in some, uh, some explanations, the scholars say that it was actually a small gap the Prophet made between the two fingers. Small gap. That's all that's left to the day of judgment to come. So we know that it is something close now. There are some scholars who said that the day of judgment would occur after certain periods of time. Some said it would be 7,000 years. This earth would last for 7,000 years than the day of judgment. Others, they said even less than that. Others more. But all of those statements, whomsoever they may be from, even perhaps some of the recognized scholars of the past, any statement that highlights a specification identifies a time frame to when the day of judgment is going to occur, 7,000 years, 10,000 years, 2,000 years, any specification or identification of a time frame, all of those statements and the evidences they are based upon are inaccurate and not authentic. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned all of those narrations that seem to identify time periods 7,000 years left, 10,000, whatever the dates, all of them are weak narrations. All we do know is that the day of judgment will be on a Friday, that it will occur on a Friday. So, that is some brief detail and a small introduction into the day of judgment and the signs. But we'll have to do that properly in the details of it from the next session in two weeks time insha'Allah ta'ala any questions on what we've done there so far So the narration mentions urine, but does the other method of relieving yourself also come into that as well? As they say in their street language, the numbers. So if the hadith only mentions urine, does the other thing come into it too? The hadith mentions urine, because the most likelihood of something occurring in terms of impurity is more from urine, splashes, etc. But of course, the other would have a similar meaning to it. If a person didn't clean himself properly, didn't cleanse himself properly, then that, that has the same meaning as a person not looking after himself and not cleaning himself properly from the urine. So that meaning is the same when they say the illah is identical. The illah there, the reasoning there is identical. So it would be considered to be the same ruling for the one who doesn't look after himself in that way too. So the purpose there is purification. 
At-Tahuru Shatrul Iman, as the narration says, purification is half of your Iman. Purification is half of your Iman, meaning a Muslim is always upon purification, always upon cleanliness. Anything else? That must have been a homework. What's classified as haram is, as they say, the small print in the contracts, everything else, and how it's done. Most of these mortgage agreements, the mortgage that they give you, it's not as simple as that. It never is. It's never as simple as just, it's going to be this amount fixed, and you're going to pay it back over this many years, and that's it. There's always other clauses and other details. Most of these mortgage agreements from Islamic banks, as far as I know, and I haven't looked into it, that it's a dual contract in the first place, which makes it haram anyway before you even get into the contract. Because you cannot have two contracts within one. And many of these deals, they work like that. You pay rent on that property, and that's going towards your mortgage or whatever, and at the end of that time, then you own the property. Up until that point, you don't own the property, the property is owned by the bank. For that type of scenario, how you explain to work properly, the person would have to become the outright owner of that item. He's not. The owned. The item is still owned by the bank. You're now paying these increments, which somehow go towards your rent as well. And there are two deals of a rent and then the mortgage being paid off, and at the end it comes together into buying the property. Many of them work in these types of ways. So it's never straightforward and simple, and most of the time these admin costs and everything else, they are more than likely impermissible from what appears to be the case, than they are permissible. More than likely all of these ways that they phrase their contracts and what they do, they are not legitimate. It's not a straightforward deal. If it was a straightforward deal, I went and bought this bottle of water from the supplier for 50p. I come and set up my stall outside, sell it for 60p. Anything wrong with that? Nothing at all. I've gone and bought it for a price. I'm not going to sell it for 10p profit. Simple as that, no problem. But these house deals are never simple as that. It's never as simple as the bank buying it for 100,000 and now it's 110 for you and that's all you got to pay done and dusted. If it was then they would be okay if it was as simple as that. But it isn't. There's always clauses. There's always these late payment fees. And there's the rental issue that goes into it. There are complications. These so-called Islamic banks, then it still needs to be looked into very carefully. And don't blindly just say, well, it's the Islamic bank giving this deal. It'll be okay. It isn't always. We gave the example just now before about the, the man, the rich man, poor man. When you look at that, Individually, the two deals are perfectly good, halal. But when you put them together, now all of a sudden the scholars have unanimously said it is haram. Because really you're only doing that to make a loophole to get interest. So that's often what it ends up being. You have to be very careful with these types of contracts.
that this is extremely close the the day of judgment so it's it's hard to comprehend this you know for for a, for for a human because it extremely close you know what does it mean because to, does it mean that my death is close is that what you're referring to no the actual day of judgment that is in reference to the actual day of judgment the actual day of judgment is now very close when you think about things in context there were hundreds over a hundred thousand prophets and messengers they all came throughout history come and gone adam alayhi salam all the way through to the final messenger all of that's already happened in history we've missed all of that all of that's already happened on top of that it's been 1500 years almost now since all of that finished and happened another one and a half thousand years have gone on from that when the prophet was saying that the day of judgment is close so now it's even closer so that those narrations are in reference to the fact that the actual day of judgment is now something close it is not something in the distant long future relative now to everything it is something very close Allah, and these pension schemes, all these types of questions, really it's not possible until you break down the details of how it's being done, what's being done, what they're putting in, what they're not putting in. Generally, as an absolute general answer, which doesn't mean much until you look into the details of every scheme, they are allowed. Generally. But then you look into each scheme and what they do and how they do it, it may not be. So it's, it's you can't really explain those business types of contracts and deals until you look at each one individually. Generally, as a concept, it can be allowed as a concept. But then how it's done, it's, it, that's what's going to determine whether it's allowed or not. And where they put your money as well, that is going to have a, 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 an influence in the situation where they put those monies, that finance, where it goes, into what schemes, halal, haram, etc., we're going to have to round off there. It's the time for the prayer. Inshallah ta'ala, in two weeks' time we carry on. The rest of the lessons are on as well. Saturdays here every week, Fridays every week with the alternative lesson. All the time the classes are on, inshallah ta'ala. So make sure you make the effort. Fridays and Saturdays every week the class is on. So this one particularly is in two weeks' time now when we carry on with the next session, inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.